Good to see each and every one of you. How many are happy to be in the house of the Lord this morning? This morning, I want to talk to you on the subject, getting right with yourself. I thought about titling it, getting right with your own self. However you want to say it. Last week, we talked about getting right with God. Today, we're going to talk about getting right with yourself. A couple of verses of scripture, Romans chapter 14, verse 17 says, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, in the Holy Spirit is not just a modifier of joy. All three are in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness in the Holy Spirit and peace in the Holy Spirit and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, the first thing we understand is that this is these are consecutive. Righteousness. Then peace. Then joy. The order is intentional. Because many of us are praying for peace but neglecting righteousness. And many of us are praying for joy, but neglecting peace. Righteousness comes first, and then peace is the fruit of righteousness. And then joy is the fruit of peace, which means that if there's a lack of joy in your life, there's a lack of peace. Mm. And if there's a lack of peace in your life, there's a lack of righteousness, which means that righteousness is the most important one. which means that you're supposed to pursue righteousness above all others. And I can't actually even think of a passage of Scripture. It might be there, but I just couldn't. I was racking my brain this morning trying to think of a passage of Scripture that tells us to seek or pray for or hunger for peace Mm -hmm. or joy. But Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, Blessed are they which hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. If you hunger and thirst after righteousness, you get filled with righteousness. The fruit of righteousness is peace and joy. And wouldn't it be awesome to live a life full of peace and a life full of joy? Nothing to disturb you. full of peace and full of joy, that life is first full of righteousness. Father, I pray today in the name of the Lord Jesus that you speak to us mightily by the power of your word and spirit. We trust you to do so, and we give you all praise, glory, and honor in advance. In Jesus' name, Amen. amen. Righteousness, the Greek word is dikaios. Dikaios, righteousness literally means right standing. It means to be right. And it is a relational construct. Righteousness, being right, having right standing, has three reference. 
The first referent is being right with God or having right standing with God or being in a right relationship with God. The second referent is being right with your own self, being in right standing with your own self. And the third referent is being right with others, being in right standing with others. And when all three forms of righteousness are intact in your life, you are what the Bible calls blameless. The book of Job, there was a man whose name was Job, and that man was blameless. The most powerful, one of the most powerful verses, one of the most powerful things that could ever be said about any person, that man was blameless. There was no blame in his relationship with God. There was no blame in his relationship with himself. There was no blame in his relationship with others. You know where Jesus said, if you bring your gift to the altar at the church and realize there that your brother has ought against you, someone has something against you, you realize that you've wronged somebody, leave your gift at the altar and go be reconciled to your brother and then come back and your gift will be received. What is Jesus saying? I want you to be blameless. I want you to know what it's like to be blameless. I want you to get it right in every relationship, not just your relationship with God. I want you to know what it's like to be blameless in every relationship because there's no greater peace or greater joy than a blameless life. Last week, we talked about the first referent, being right with God. We talked about the forgiveness of sins. Righteousness Number one is something that we can never achieve for ourselves. There's a second New Testament term that is related to dikaios. It's the term dikaiosune, which is translated justification in your Bible. Romans chapter 5 verse 1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Do you know what that word justified means? Dikaios is righteous or righteousness. Dikaiosune is justification. Justification means to be declared righteous. Justification is the means by which God makes you righteous. It's the means by which God imputes righteousness to you. It is a transformation from unrighteousness to righteousness. It is the removal of all controversy between you and God. That's what justification is. It is the removal of all controversy between you and God. Righteousness or justification is the means by which God does an analysis of your life and an inventory of everything in your life that stands between you and him. And he washes it all away by the blood of his son and says, I have removed all controversy between you and me. You are now righteous. And Paul says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, peace is the fruit of righteousness. And he goes on to say, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, which means joy is the fruit of peace. Justification is the means by which God removes all controversy between you and him. creates right standing between you and him so that there's no walls. And when all of the walls are taken away, 
and all of the offense is removed and every sin atoned for and washed away, past, present, and future. Justification is not just the removal of your past sins. It's not just a momentary cleansing of the slate. Past, present, and future, all controversy between you and God is removed through justification by faith, through faith in Jesus Christ. His blood doesn't just pay for your past sins and then you got to pay for your future sins. His blood pays past, present, and future. So that when God looks at you, he no longer sees all of the sins of your life, past, present, or future. He only sees the blood covering of his son, Jesus. He only sees the price that his son paid. And so he begins to relate to you as he relates to his son. And he has perfect righteousness between him and his son, perfect right relationship. That perfect right relationship between Jesus and the Father is imputed to you when you come to faith in Jesus. God puts that on you, puts the righteousness. He just covers you, smothers you, baptizes you in the righteousness of his son so that all he sees when he looks at you is the righteousness of his son. And he relates to you as if you were Jesus. No controversy. And the fruit of that justification is peace. And the fruit of that peace is joy. Righteousness, peace, and joy. The problem for us is that getting right with God is only the first step. I think all of us in one way or another, have experienced this. Everyone who has come to faith in Jesus Christ and truly been saved, you discover that you got right with God, but you still ain't right with your wife. And you were hoping that since God forgave you, she would forgive you, but she don't. You were hoping that since God washed everything away, she would wash everything away. God forgot all your sins, but she still remembers all of them. And she names them one by one. You got saved and you got right with God, and then you went to work and your boss called you in and gave you the riot act because your work isn't right. You got saved... And you're right with God, but you're still dealing with the fact that your house is in foreclosure because you lost your job and your money ain't right. The question is, how do we transfer that rightness with God? How do we manifest or apply that rightness that we have with God into every other relationship in our lives? And the problem is that we skip a step. I go straight from rightness with God to pursuing rightness with my wife. God, thank you for forgiving me. Now speak to her and tell her to forgive me. Help me get it right with her. And actually what I'm really saying is help her get it right. Lord, please speak to her and show her that she's crazy and let her come to me and confess her sins and repent. And we skip a step you got to get right with God, and then you got to get right with yourself. Yep. Only then will you begin to see that righteousness that you receive from God manifest in every other relationship in your life. Yeah. You skipped yourself. Yeah. You skipped yourself. you got to check yourself yeah. before you wreck yourself. 
There's a, a number of illustrations that come to mind, but the most prominent is the children of Israel in the wilderness. God brings them out of Egypt directly into the wilderness, takes them to Mount Sinai, reveals himself. First of all, sprinkles, uh, Moses and Aaron sprinkle them with the blood of bulls and goats, and they cry out, this is the blood of the covenant which the Lord your God makes with you today. And then God comes and sits on the mountain, speaks from the mountain in fire and smoke. I am Yahweh Eloheinu. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt on eagle's wings. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not bow down to them. You shall not worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Yeah. What's God doing? He's making them right with himself. Yeah. He makes covenant with them. He cuts covenant with them on the mountain. He gives them his word and says, now this is how you live in covenant with me. Starting there. But the next thing that happens is, is Joshua sends some, or Moses sends some spies to go look at the promised land that God's taking them to. And 10 out of 12 of the spies come back with a bad report. And those 10 spies say, the inhabitants of that land eat it up. They consume it. They're giants. And we look like grasshoppers. Compared to them, we're grasshoppers, and we look the same to them. Meaning, in our eyes, in our own eyes, we see ourselves as grasshoppers in comparison to them. And we look the same to them. And the 10 spies said, we are not able. We are not able. And God was offended. God said they were acting in unbelief. But notice that not one of the spies made a negative comment about God. Not one of them said, God isn't able. Not one of them said, our God is not strong enough. Not one of them accused God of lying or being unfaithful to his promise or being unrighteous or unholy. They did not level an accusation against God. They walked in self-accusation. We are not worthy. And God said, that is unbelief. And it offends me. Their controversy was with themselves, not God. And God said that self-controversy is just as wicked in my sight as controversy with me. Not seeing yourself the way I see you is just as destructive as not seeing God the way he reveals himself. Getting it right with God is confessing you are. You are the King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus, you are Savior and you are Lord. But getting it right with yourself is looking into his eyes and seeing a reflection of yourself. And saying, I'm no longer a slave to sin. I'm a child of God. Getting right with yourself means knowing yourself the way God knows you. And when you get right with yourself, the fruit of that is peace with yourself. And the fruit of peace with yourself is joy with yourself. Which means that if you feel less than joy in yourself, towards yourself, and about yourself, there's a lack of peace. And if you feel less than peace in yourself, about yourself, and with yourself, there's a lack of righteousness. Which means you need to be made righteous with yourself. (laughs) Get right with you.
Now, one of the major hindrances, oh, and by the way, Jesus said, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Which means if you don't learn how to love yourself, you'll never be able to love others. Which also means that hatred towards others is actually at its root self-hatred. And and, um, who was it? James. James said, you can't say that you love God and hate your brother. Because if you hate your brother, you actually hate yourself. You can't say you love God and yet hate your brother. He who says he loves God but hates his brother is a liar, James says. Why? Because if you love God, you necessarily love everyone who he loves. You cannot love God and hate who he loves. And you cannot love God and hate what he and love what he hates. You cannot love God and hate who he loves. And you cannot love God and love what he hates. In order to love God, you got to hate what he hates and love who he loves. And this is the the most difficult thing for, for you and I to actually receive. He loves you. He loves you. It's easy for me to look at you and say, yeah, he loves them. It's harder for me to look in the mirror and say, no, he loves that guy. He loves you. Learning to love myself the way God loves me, it's so foreign. Learning to see me the way he sees me, that's not easy. Now, one of the byproducts, you know, you take medication and medication has side effects. One of the side effects of our lack of righteousness in ourselves, with ourselves. By the way, this is not, I'm not talking about self-righteousness. Self-righteousness is obtaining righteousness from yourself and by yourself. But being righteous by yourself or with yourself, being in right relationship with yourself is obtained from God. Only God can make you right with God and only God can make you right with yourself. But one of the side effects of our unrighteousness in ourselves, our lack of right relationship with ourselves, is suicide. Romans 3.23 says, the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death, which means that every act of sin is a portion of suicide. In every place in our lives where we continue in any kind of sin, we are committing suicide by degrees. Which completely redefines sin, doesn't it? Because we think of sin naturally, we think of sin as stuff that we like but God hates. And he wants to take from us because he's a killjoy. Sin is fun things, anything fun, anything that I might enjoy, anything that I might think is good. God is so religious, he just wants to take it away because he wants me to be religious. When in reality, sin by its very nature and definition is self-destructive. Do you realize that the primary reason why God hates sin is not because it offends his perfection, but because it destroys you and me? 
Any parent hates anything that destroys their child. When you see your child doing something that you know is going to destroy them, you hate the thing that is destroying your child. Not simply because you hate the thing, but because it is destroying the one you love. When we love sin, we are actually loving the thing that destroys us. We are actually in love with a self-destructive process. We are loving the thing that is slowly killing us. And most of us, we commit suicide over 30 or 40 years. We eat ourselves to death. Or we drink ourselves to death. Or we smoke ourselves to death. Or we starve ourselves to death. Or we work ourselves to death. Or we worry ourselves to death. Everything that we are commanded not to do in the scriptures, we are commanded not to do it because it will kill you. And as a child, the thing about adolescence is that you are unable to understand that something is self-destructive. It just seems fun. And so mom and dad say, don't do that. And they don't give explanations, at least if mom and dad are black. Don't do that. How come? Because I said so. (laughs) And God doesn't always give explanations. He just says, you're going to trust me to know what's good for you and what's not. Don't do that. Why? It's destroying me? No, it's destroying you. It hurts me? It hurts me to see you hurt you. And at every place in which you can identify a self-destructive pattern in your life, an area in your life where you know if I continue this, it's going to slowly erode my life. You're killing yourself slowly. Why? Because you hate yourself at some deep place. And here's, here's what the enemy does. There's a place of self-hatred deep in you that's the result of a wound, the result of a place of brokenness. But you're not even aware of that that broken, wounded place that gives rise to this self-destructive tendency. Every self-destructive tendency is the result of a wound. You're not aware of the wound. You're only aware of the tendency. And so you come to faith in Jesus Christ and realize you need to quit that because God doesn't like that. And so now you walk in self-accusation. See, I'm not spiritual. See, I'm not disciplined. Man, I wish I could be more spiritual. Man, I wish I could be more disciplined. And all you do is beat yourself up. Because it's really the enemy whispering in your ear, beating you up. See, that's why you're this. See, that's why you're a drug addict. See, that's why you're an alcoholic. See, that's why you're this. See, that's why. And all the enemy does is bring accusation. And accusation will never justify you. Accusation will never make you right. You need to write this down. Self-accusation is unprofitable. Compassionate curiosity is profitable. Sometimes the first step to loving yourself is walking in compassionate curiosity about the self-destructive places in your life. Why am I trying to kill myself here? Lord, can you help me understand why I can't stop trying to kill myself in this area of my life? And would you lead me to a place of healing in that place? 
And do you know what the fruit of compassionate curiosity is? Is you start to relate to the people around you according to your brokenness and not your woundedness. Do you know the difference? When you act out of woundedness, you react. Woundedness makes me feel small. And so when my wife comes at me and puts her finger on one of those self-destructive places in my life, it hurts so bad that I lash out at her in anger. That's reacting in my woundedness. And when I react in my woundedness, it's because underneath that woundedness and underneath that place, I hate myself. I hate myself because I haven't embraced my weakness. But when I act out of my brokenness, instead of reacting in anger to try to make myself feel bigger in the place where I feel small because of my woundedness, do you know what I do? I react in humility. I respond with humility. You know what? You're so right. I don't know why I'm broken in that place. And I feel incapable of fixing it. I'm going to need some help in this area. Will you help me? Isn't that better than, why are you always You always got something to say. I mean, the Apostle Paul, this dude was like, I glory in my weaknesses. I boast of my weaknesses. Every time I see a new weakness, I get excited, and I go tell somebody, hey, see this? This is my weakness. This is a place where I'm weak. Isn't that cool? Like, what are you so excited about your weakness for? Because where I'm weak, then he's strong. I boast in my weaknesses because my weaknesses are areas in my life where God's power can potentially be made perfect, but they're only made perfect if I embrace those weaknesses and don't hate myself for the weaknesses. Looking in the mirror and cussing yourself out will never help your situation. The self-talk on the inside of you is a sign of unrighteousness. It means you're not right with yourself. And you have a controversy in your heart with your own weaknesses. You haven't embraced, I'm just broken in this place and and I can't get it right. When that place of brokenness is designed to lead you back to Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Lord, make me right with me. All controversy with you got settled when I came to faith in Jesus. Now settle the controversy with me. But it's the same blood of Christ that makes me right with the Father that makes me right with me. Make me right. I want to be right with my own self. Now, this is a construct that doesn't really compute in our culture. you, You don't realize it, but our whole culture is designed to empower you to skip yourself. I watched this movie recently. Doesn't matter what the movie was, but it took place back in the 50s, I believe. And one of the characters was a man who lived alone by himself in this small house on a lake. And um, I don't think he even worked. I think he just, maybe he had enough money. I don't even remember what the story was about, but he lived by himself on this lake. And throughout the movie, there were these scenes where he was just, you just got to see his way of life. And he would wake up every morning, take a shower and shave which blew me away. 
You ain't leaving the house. Nobody's coming to see you and you shaved. Put on clean clothes and a shirt and tie. And then he would go into the kitchen and make himself a nice breakfast with eggs and bacon and toast, coffee and orange juice, set the table and sit at the table by himself and ate his breakfast while reading the paper. And then he would go sit out on his porch and look out at the lake, and then he would go throw some bread to the ducks or whatever. And then he would go on his daily walk with his dog, and he'd come home and he would manicure his home. And then around evening time, he would take a shower and put on fresh clothes, even a nicer shirt and tie. He'd make himself a nice dinner, steak and potatoes, set the table, and sit at the table by himself and eat it. And it just seems so foreign to me. Because what do you and I do? If we have a Zoom meeting where we got to be dressed up, I'm wearing pajamas from the waist down. And if I ain't got no Zoom meeting, I, why do I even shave? I only take a shower if my wife starts going... He was living for himself, with himself, by himself. He wasn't doing nothing for y'all. It didn't matter to him that nobody was going to see him doing it. He was living for himself, with himself. He did it for himself. I get up in the morning and I shower and shave to feel good about me. And I put on clean clothes and a shirt and a tie because how I feel about me. And I make a nice, I mean, if nobody's coming over for breakfast, you just grab a bowl of cereal you know what I mean? No, I'm making eggs and bacon and toast and coffee. I'm making a meal to enjoy with myself. Yeah. It's like I'm in fellowship with myself yeah. and I'm living with me and I feel so good about me that I just want to bless me. <laughs> I just want to love me. Yeah. Jesus says you will love your neighbor as you love yourself. Meaning if you never learn how to love yourself, you will never get it right with your neighbor. Yeah. But we pretend to love our neighbor by dressing ourselves up only when the neighbor's coming around. Yeah. Is the neighbor coming over? Let's clean the house real quick. Yeah. Make it look nice. Yeah. And all we're doing is putting on a show, making it seem like our lives are presentable when we are in the presence of others, not even because I want to love you, but because I'm afraid of what you might think of me. But it never dawns on me to think, what do I think of me? Yeah. What do I think of me? Yeah. Righteousness is being right with yourself. Yeah. Thinking rightly of yourself. Yeah. Speaking rightly of yourself. Mm -hmm. Acting rightly on behalf of yourself. All by yourself. That's, that's level two righteousness. Level one righteousness, being right with God. Thinking rightly of God. Yeah. Speaking rightly of God yeah. and to God. Yeah. And acting rightly towards God yeah. before God. Yeah. But level two righteousness is being right with yourself. Yeah. Thinking rightly of yourself. Yeah. Speaking rightly of yourself. Yeah. And acting rightly towards yourself. All by yourself. Yeah. Good. 
And only God can make that happen. Otherwise, it's self-righteousness. Self-righteousness is when you are pursuing a rightness with yourself that is not based in the blood of Christ. Self-righteousness is when you are making a decision by your own power to try to fix things in you that only God can fix. Self-righteousness is when you try to apply discipline to do that which the blood of Jesus Christ already paid for. You see, with extreme self-discipline, you can actually make a lot of behavioral modifications. You can actually change the course of your life with enough self-discipline and struggle and strength. And there's a whole genre of literature out there that we call self-help that will help you do it. And underneath it is the premise that you don't need Jesus. All you need is more discipline and more effort and more labor. And that is the, the heart and the essence of empty religion. The heart and the essence of Pharisaicalism and Judaism. The harshest critics of Jesus were the ones who applied the most self-discipline to try to be right with themselves and right with God. And the sign that they were applying self-discipline and were doing it by themselves and in their own power was judgmentalism towards others. Judgmentalism is the the telltale sign of religiosity, that you're just religious. You're not actually right with yourself when your rightness with yourself is procured through religion. And when you look down on others like, like the Pharisee, who looked down on the man and said, God, I thank you that I'm not like this Gentile. I tithe 10%. I go to the temple for prayer. I honor my father and my mother. But what did Jesus say? That Gentile wouldn't even lift up his head. He just beat his breast and said, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, that man went home justified before God. The foundation of right relationship with yourself is hungry and thirsting after righteousness. It's coming before God. See, this is the thing. We tend to make plans and discipline ourselves and figure out how to do it instead of coming before God and saying, God, I can't get it right with me any more than I could have got it right with you. I need you to make me right. I hunger and thirst after your righteousness. I'm crying out to you, make me right with me just like you made me right with you. There are thoughts about me that I can't stop thinking. And some of you in here right now, and some of you even watching or listening on the podcast or the live stream, you are your own worst critic. You're constantly beating yourselves up, and some of you even think it's prophetic. That God is telling you how horrible you are or how sinful you are, or how wicked you are. No, the blood of Christ has spoken, and it speaks better things than the blood of Abel. you got to start listening to the blood that, that covers you, the blood of Christ that washes you, and come to God and cry out for righteousness, hunger and thirst after righteousness. Help me get right with me. Help me to think rightly about myself. Help me to think of me what you think of me. Help me to speak of me what you speak of me. Help me to act rightly towards myself. When Paul talks about sexual sin, he said, he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you hear what Paul is saying? 
You're sinning against yourself. You're hurting yourself. Why would you want to hurt yourself? How about some compassionate curiosity? God, help me understand why I want to hurt myself. Help me understand why I love the thing that you hate. Help me understand why I desire the thing that you despise. Help me to see it the way you see it. In any area of sin, compassionate curiosity before God. Lord, I thank you that the blood of Jesus Christ covers me of all of it and washes me clean. But Lord, you still desire that I walk free from this. Why do you desire that I walk free? Because you love me so much. You don't want me to continue in any self-destructive ways. It's destroying me. Lord, help me to even see that it destroys me. I don't even know that it's destroying me. For some reason, I believe it fulfills me. Why do I believe that it fulfills me when you believe that it destroys me? Help me to see, and that's where repentance is. Repentance means to change your mind. It means to submit your thoughts to his thoughts. It means to confess, God, you and I think differently about this thing. Help me to think about it the way you think. But God, I, I can't change my thoughts. I can't change my mind. I can't change my heart. I can't heal my own brokenness. So God, I come to you in my brokenness. And then here's the hard part. James says, confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. I knew I wasn't going to get no amens on that. I've been listening over the last month or so as I've come home from the hospital. I've been listening to a lot of my old sermons. I felt like the Lord just told me to just start listening to your old sermons. And I've gone all the way back to 2011, which is as far back as the, the, our, our archives go. And I'm just listening to sermon after sermon after sermon after sermon after sermon after sermon. After sermon. And you know what struck me? I got to 2017 um, this, this last week. And what struck me is how Sonny and I be telling all our business. I mean, we just be telling y'all everything. And I was listening to this sermon so many times, I'm like, oh, why did I have to say that? Ooh, what did you tell that for? Both, both of us. Both of us. Both. We just be just spilling the beans. And I got to 2017, and there's a sermon where I said, you know what? For the last 13 years, me and Sonny have been up here singing like a canary, telling you all of our business. But you know how tired I am of y'all coming to me speaking in parables? (laughs) Pastor, I need you to pray for me. Why? Well, I'm struggling with a while of the devil. I just got up and told the whole church all my business, and you're going to come to me confessing in parables? Well, I'm dealing with a particular challenge. I have an unspoken request. I hate unspoken requests. Got an unspoken request. Every request is unspoken. And I said in that sermon, why are we the only transparent people in this church? I'm not telling y'all no more of my business. It's your turn now. But then secondly, I don't need you to tell me. Please don't come telling me everything now. (laughs) This whole line of people, pastor, I got to tell you something. (laughs) That's why we're so insistent that you join community groups. So that you have a place where you can be transparent. Where you have a place where you can allow yourself to be broken. 
where you don't have to feel ashamed of your weaknesses, where you can apply some compassionate curiosity towards yourself, yeah. and where some people can come around you and lay some hands on you and pray. Yeah. And the fact of the matter is, if everybody in your community group operates that way, there's no room for anybody to feel ashamed. But if you're the person in the group that can always pray for everybody, but ain't never got a need, you can't confess nothing about yourself, but I sure will pray for you. Father, set my brother free. When you got a log in your own eye and you're praying for the speck in his eye. That's the first step to getting right with one another is becoming vulnerable. But I can only become vulnerable when I get right with myself. If I'm not right with myself, I, I talked in that sermon about, I told an illustration where I was at this event of some kind, this workshop, and the director of the workshop said, everybody write down on a little slip of paper your favorite animal, the name of your favorite animal. And I thought to myself, this is a meaningless exercise. Everybody's going to write down the same animal. And the first person was like, my favorite animal is a dolphin. It's like, er? <laughs> and it said, write the, the three things you love about that animal. And they said, the dolphin is this, that, and the other. And the next person was like, my favorite animal is a chicken. And I said, no, you misunderstood the exercise. Not your favorite animal to eat. <laughs> your favorite animal. And she got to me and I said, my favorite animal is the lion. Of course it's the lion. And the three things I love about the lion is the lion is fearless. The lion walks through the forest like this. Notice when you see lions walk, they be walking all slow. No fear of anything. Deer, they be walking all fast. Something jumps out behind a bush and a lion is there. The first thing the lion thinks is, ooh, I get to eat. Something jumps out a bush and a deer is there. The first thing the deer thinks is, ooh, I might get eaten. The lion is fearless. Secondly, the lion is majestic. I mean, lions are just, they just got dignity and power. And that's the third thing. Lions are powerful. Nothing can take down a lion. And then she said, the three things you love about your favorite animal are the three things you love about yourself. And I was like, that's true. I'm fearless. And I'm majestic. And I'm powerful. But the more I thought about it, the more I realized the lion is only one side of me. There's another side that's the lamb. The lion is the powerful side of me. But the lamb is the broken and weak side of me. And notice even Jesus is called the lion and the lamb. He is a lion. The lion of the tribe of Judah has prevailed. But he's also a lamb. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And all of us have the lion and the lamb. The problem is, when I talk to you, I'm only going to show you the lion. Yeah. 
rawr. Every time you see me, rawr. Let me tell you what I did, brother. Let me tell you what I did. I wrote seven books in three hours. <laughs> rawr, rawr. You know what else I did, brother? You know what else I did, brother? You know what else I did? I preached 72 sermons in three days in Indonesia, Singapore, and Thailand. <laughs> rawr, rawr. You know what else I did? Rawr. You know what I'm working on right now? Rawr. And the problem is you can admire the lion, but you can't actually love the lion. If you're going to love me, i got to show you the lamb. And when I bring the lamb out, I say, you know what? I'm so strong in these areas, but in this area here, I'm just so weak. I'm just so broken in this area, and I can't get it right no matter what I do. And sometimes I feel hopeless about ever being able to get it right. Will you help me? And I bring out the lamb. You know what happens when I bring out the lamb? We have fellowship. Pastor Mike Perkinson, he pastors a church called the Lamb's Fellowship. Not the Lion's Fellowship. The Lamb's Fellowship. And the problem with needing to be the lion all the time is that there's always a bigger lion than you lurking around somewhere. It's like, I wrote seven books. Rawr! And another lion comes around the table. Well, I wrote 17 books. And I'm like, The problem with being the lion is I always got to be the biggest lion. But when I bring out the lamb, I don't have to be bigger than anybody. The lamb is the place where I don't have to be strong, where I'm not putting on my Sunday best to come show you how awesome I am. The lamb, that's the place where I can just be broken yeah. and be weak. And I can glory in my weakness. I can be unashamed of it. Blessed are they which hunger and thirst after righteousness. You know, one of the things we discover, if you're married, you discovered it. That in every marriage, there's unresolved stuff. In every marriage, there's unresolved tensions. When Sunday and I first got married, we thought we had to resolve everything. Yeah. <laughs> and we would sit and we would argue for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. And then we would sleep in separate rooms and wake up the next morning and go back to arguing for hours. And why? Because we felt like we can't stop till we resolve it. And it took us a few years to realize some of this stuff doesn't get resolved. You just have to go on. That's life. And because of that, unresolved tensions, they linger in the atmosphere over, over every marriage. Every marriage, I dare say, you've got some unresolved stuff that's just lingering in the atmosphere. And if you're here and you think, that's not my marriage, we've resolved everything. You just buried it so deep you're not aware of it anymore. Yeah. And this year, one of those things has been lingering and, and kind of coming to the surface in our marriage between me and my wife so much that I felt like there was a wall between us. And I've been crying out to God. Matthew 5, 6, God, I hunger after righteousness. I hunger after righteousness. Please, I want to be right with my wife. 
but I'm powerless. I can't do it. Well, last night, one of those areas kind of flared up. It's actually been flaring up. And it's my fault. I'm not just saying that because I'm up here and I'm trying to cover her. It's the truth. <laughs> See? <laughs> it's true. It's true. She speaks the truth. But we kept fighting about it and fighting about it and fighting about it. And last night we had this breakthrough conversation. I'm not saying it's resolved. We got a lot more work to do. But we had a breakthrough conversation that opened the door for new life between us. And I thought, we've been trying to have this conversation for 23 years. Next week, we celebrate our 23rd anniversary. But what became so apparent to me last night was that the only way that it will be possible for us to continue to have conversations like that is if I keep working on me. It's like, oh, all of a sudden I could see what's hindered us from having this is me not being willing to deal with this. And I was reacting out of my woundedness instead of responding out of my brokenness. I've been crying out to God for rightness with my wife. But out of the midst of that cry, God redirected me to a mirror and said, get right with that guy. You'll be right with her if you get right with that guy. But Benjamin, I'm going to take you by the hand and I'm going to lead you and I'm going to help you and I'm going to guide you. I'm going to make you right with that guy. Because blessed are those who hunger and thirst after it. Don't you dare try to do it on your own. Don't you dare hide from me. That's what Adam and Eve did. They knew they had messed up, so what did they do? They hid from God, and they made coverings for themselves. They're trying to make themselves right with themselves by themselves. And they're hiding from God, and they're running from God because they messed up. God says, don't you dare run from me. You run to me. I will make you right. The Scripture says all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. All of our attempts to justify ourselves, to fix ourselves, to make ourselves right, it's filthy rags. You can't fix yourself. It's like the story of the man who was driving one of the first automobiles. And it broke down on the side of the road. And another man walked up and said, what's happening here? He said, my car broke down. This thing's a piece of junk. The guy said, can I take a look at it? He goes, ah, it's no use. The thing's broken. And the guy said, just give me two minutes. And he popped open the hood. And the guy looked inside. And he, he said, try it now. And the guy turned the, and it turned on. And He's like, hey, how'd you do that? He goes, my name is Henry Ford. I built this automobile. Some of your lives are broke down on the side of the road, and you're all up in the, in the hood trying to fix it, and you don't know nothing. And God is walking up next to you saying, just let me take a look at it. I built you. I formed you in your mother's womb. I know everything. I know your entire history. Some of you are so aware that there's a you on the, un- on the inside of you that only you know. Yeah. And that's a lie. The you on the, un- on the inside of you that you think you're the only one who knows, God also knows that you. Yeah. But let me tell you something. There's also a you on the, only- on the inside of you that only God knows. And God wants to introduce you to that you. Yeah, yeah. 
God wants you to exchange the you that only you know for the you that only he knows. God wants to show you yourself. He wants to reconcile you to yourself, but it's through the blood of Jesus Christ. Wouldn't it be awesome to settle your controversy with yourself? So that you don't have to walk in self-condemnation all the time, self-accusation, shame, fear, grief. Wouldn't it be awesome to be established in righteousness in relationship to yourself? You know what the fruit of that will be? Isaiah 32, 17, I believe it is, says, and the fruit of righteousness will be peace. And guess what the fruit of peace is? Joy. Wouldn't it be awesome to go to sleep at night with no controversy with yourself? No unfinished business. You'd sleep in peace every night. You'd wake in joy every morning. And you'd walk in love every day. Father, I pray today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would fall on every heart and every soul. We hunger and thirst after righteousness. We hunger and thirst after righteousness. God, religion, the spirit of religion speaks and says, you better get it right. You better fix that. You better stop that. You better get it right. That's the spirit of religion. But Jesus speaks and says, don't be afraid. Come and follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Don't be afraid. I built you. I can fix you. Don't be afraid. Come and follow me. God, I pray today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that the resolve to follow Jesus would be born in each and every one of our hearts afresh and anew. The resolve to follow Jesus. The resolve to trust Jesus with everything. The resolve to come to you in our brokenness and, and, and to begin to hunger and thirst after righteousness. God, I pray that a hunger and a thirst for righteousness would be born in every soul. That it would well up in every vessel, God. That we would leave this place with a hunger and thirst for your righteousness. And that you would silence the voice of condemnation and silence the voice of accusation. The enemy even lies and says that it's conviction. And sometimes it is conviction, but most of the time it's not. The difference between conviction and condemnation is that conviction comes with the resolve to do right by the power of God. But condemnation simply makes you feel bad about yourself. Condemnation breeds shame. Conviction breeds repentance. I will arise and return to my Father. That's conviction. I will arise and return to my Father. That's conviction. If it doesn't make you want to arise and return to your Father, it's not conviction, it's condemnation. Father, today I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus that you would silence the voice of condemnation over your people and replace it with true conviction that there would be a hunger and a thirsting for righteousness in every soul. We give you praise for it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. 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 Come on, give God a shout of praise. Stand up on your feet.